welcome to the Pelican Brief with your host, David Tapman. Welcome to the Pelican Brief. I'm your host, David Tatman. We have the pleasure of having Matt Thomas in our studio today. Matt is running for the House of Representatives in District 68. Is that correct? That's correct. And um, uh, Matt has a pretty impressive background. One of the things I noticed is that in uh, 2006, he was the executive director of the Louisiana Senior Olympics, which is something that's very uh, close to my heart. And uh, in addition to that, uh, you were the, uh, I guess you still are, the president of University Lakes Improvement and uh, Preservation Association. Yes. Uh, you also worked on the Walls Project, which I absolutely love, which is all around town. And uh, in 2017, you were on uh, Mayor Broom's transition team on the Public Works Committee. So I want to welcome you to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for being here. So I uh, just want to give you an opportunity to sort of introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, uh, just, to, you know, generally, most of our people are listening on a podcast about five to 10% watch it. So uh, we'll just let kind of introduce yourself and let okay. them know who you are. Um, I'm not a typical Louisiana politician. I was born in Tokyo, Japan. Wow. Part of the occupation of war after World War II. And I lived pretty much all over the United States growing up on strategic air command bases. My father ended up being mm. a nuclear commander during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Okay. He uh, flew 48 missions in World War II. And so um, I grew up in a military background, you might say, and uh, went off to college and got a degree in public relations and worked for a while for a pump company and then came back and got a master's degree, got a research assistantship that paid for it with a marketing department, um, it was an MBA. And I went to work for a company called FlowServe nowadays. It was Byron Jackson Pump Division back in the day. And uh, I was hired into the power group, power generation uh, sales. And it evolved into my specialty became nuclear pretty quickly. And um, so I did a lot of work with Entergy. Um, I moved down here in 86. So I've been in Louisiana 37 years. Mm -hmm. um, I converted four of the five nuclear reactors to the new upgraded uh, primary seal uh, for the primary pump in the reactor system and worked a number of other valves and pumps and seals um, with the plants. I ended up, at the end of my career, I had 17 nuclear plants I was working wow. with. And um, after 9-11, I decided that it was time to Call it a day. So nine months after 9-11 in the summer of 2002, I retired and decided I wanted to go into community service, unpaid volunteer work. Yes, from your resume, there's a lot there. Yeah, I've literally been doing it since 2003 and still do it. Mm -hmm. I've worked in the food bank today. Yeah, um, I, worked on the food, I worked in the food bank on Saturday for senior dis distribution. I worked all day Friday. Okay, I missed you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and they were shorthanded on Saturday also. Yeah, they were, yeah. But um, I worked with the LSU intercollegiate tennis teams for three years, both the men's and women's, and that was kind of how I started. And then Katrina hit. So I put together groups along with uh, the chapel on campus funded me. And I put together groups, and we went into the Ninth Ward of New Orleans to 
to go to school, uh, church. And um, then I be, got appointed to the Greater New Orleans Disaster Relief Organization to train other groups on what to expect mm -hmm. in the area. And then uh, I became a uh, member of the Red Cross and trained in shelter management. So when Gustav hit, I was a shelter manager in Livingston Parish for two, par uh, two shelters, and then became the government liaison for them. My wife had just arrived from out of the country, and I had to leave her behind with no notice, basically, mm. and left her for 48 hours. And so I didn't think I could do that any longer. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I resigned from the Red Cross. Um, then I became the executive director for Louisiana Senior Olympics. Okay. And, um, my passion over the last seven years has been to help out in the disadvantaged areas of Baton Rouge. Um, the way I got into the Walls Project was through CADAV, Committee Against Drugs and Violence in right. Scotlandville. And I helped them with blight removal, um, basically cutting back shrubs and trees and branches and making it more habitable. Sure. And they asked me to work with the Walls Project. So I worked with the Walls Project for two years after that and did the same thing for, th for them. And, but when COVID came along, they got out of the, the brush clearing business. Right. Um, I started working a lot with Carolyn Coleman in District 10. Yeah, I love she, Carolyn. She's great. And she, she has um, challenged me often sure. for major projects. Yeah. And um, I've had some good volunteers to work with me. Um, the Lakes Project, we got started with the Lakes. Uh, Henson Moore is a neighbor and a friend. And uh, we got started working together in 2007. And um, that led to forming a nonprofit. Uh, which was effective 2012. Uh, in 2014, I was selected by Cox as the Cox Conserves Hero for the state of Louisiana. Oh, wow! They gave me a ten thousand dollar gave me a ten thousand yeah. dollar grant. That's, which, a, that's even which more. Was congratulations! Nice. <laughs> and then the following year, the Daughters of the American Revolution gave me yeah. the National Conservation Award. That's great. And a pin. And a pin. That's a big pin. So we. Uh, We've been working since then on cleaning up primarily University Lake and Crest Lake. Um, back in 2016, when we had the flood, right before the flood, we were clearing out the hyacinths that had taken over Crest Lake mm -hmm. and had it pretty well cleared out. Bayou Lafouche Freshwater District came up, and I donated five grand to LSU so that they could pay them for basically just their hourly rates. Mm -hmm. And we cleared the... Uh, the lake and then the flood hit mm. and um, we cleaned it up with a few um, canoes the rest of the way yeah. and the next couple years later they came back and we got them early got them out of the lake and so I've been very interested in the, in the process of keeping their legs healthy and I'm really hoping that the, the lakes project is a major success me too um, it worries me mm -hmm. um, I've, I sat on the committee that selected the landscape architect back in 2016, I believe it was. Um, but I haven't been officially connected with their organization right. since. But I really hope that they, they uh, make it safer, more beautiful, cleaner. Those are all great objectives, and I'm hoping they can pull it off. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. I mean, you have uh, quite a resume and have been around for a long time, and uh, uh, your community services is commendable, and I appreciate the work. The food bank is uh, very close to my heart. I actually work uh, with the Red Cross, too. Okay. I served on their board in Baton Rouge uh, for a short period of time. Uh, not I'm really exactly sure how that came about, but they appointed me to it, and I served, I think, maybe three years and we worked out some things for uh, some uh, shelters uh, for disasters with some of our movie studios. Um, Kel- so the Celtic, yeah, Celtic yeah. So we actually worked on that agreement uh, with uh, uh, with Celtic uh, to get that done, and it it was amazing because we did the we we got the agreement in place, and I think it was within a year. Uh, it was we it was full uh, so we we that were, was pre- you probably got the agreement two thousand fifteen yeah, and, and yeah. then the flood hit in two thousand sixteen. Yeah. And so, uh, and ever since then, really, it's been working. During COVID, we, uh, it was we used the studio for uh, um, uh, food distribution. Uh, uh, for you know, during that whole time, the federal f- food distribution, a lot of it was coming out of there. And uh, they're great people over there, and they're great people at the Red Cross. So, so we'll we'll look. Let, let's uh, let's move on, and let, why don't you tell us a little bit about your district, the geography, the makeup. And, you know, however uh, detailed you want to go into it, I know the district pretty well because part of my school board district used to overlap into that. So tell us about District 68. Well, it's um, got a lot of different neighborhoods in mm-hmm. it. Uh, LSU, South Downs, all of South Downs now, uh, Roseanne, Pollard, most of Mid-City, Bocage, goes out to Mall of Louisiana, and all along uh, Perkins Avenue. So it's um, what I consider a fairly well-to-do mm-hmm. neighborhood. It's mm-hmm. got a lot of small businesses, yep. no industry, um, a lot of schools, um, and a lot of neighborhoods. Yeah. Nice place to live. It is a nice place to live. I own property. I, is Jefferson, Jefferson Terrace is in that as well, right? Right across the interstate by Blue Cross, yeah, Blue I think, Shield? I think it's just across the street. But um, Okay. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, I um, so it's what, Scott McKnight's district today? Correct. Correct. And then there were some changes in reapportionment that added some precincts and then took and out some precincts, correct. right? Um, South Downs was only half in the district before. Roseanne was not in the district. Pollard was not in the district, so those three moved in. Okay. And then out near Country Club of Louisiana, a couple of those districts were taken out. Right. I, one of the precincts would be mine. So I live I live uh, right across from the Country Club of Louisiana, and that, that little peninsula there was in Scott McKnight's right. district, and it, I will now be in uh, Ms. Freiberg's uh, current I mean, Miss Freiberg's district that she's running for. So there were a lot of little changes out in that area. I was kind of a little surprised. But um, so, so Matt, tell us what made you decide to run for the House of Representatives. Um, part part of the way I grew up, um, my family was all about service to the country. And one of the difficult things to do is if you're an Air Force brat. And then you're in a corporation setting where you're moving around a lot. You don't get roots set down to the point where you can ever serve locally uh, other than as a volunteer. Right. And um, so four years ago, I tried to run for this seat and decided it was just too much of a process. I mm-hmm. couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before, right before qualifying, I chose to withdraw, and I gave back all the money to all my contributors and walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, Four years later, I'd been doing a lot of work that I, I felt 
especially with tires, waste tires. Oh, my God, it's a big – and Ms. Coleman is very interested in that as well. Yes, and we were working on – there's a place that's got 200 tires in it. We've been working on it mm -hmm. last week trying to find a solution for yeah. that. But I've collected over 3,000 tires in cooperation with DPW. They would identify an area. I would go in, pull all the tires to the curb so they could legally pick them up. Um, so that needs a solution. The solution isn't just, isn't just picking up the tires no, because Matt, they, they come right back out. Well, and Matt, let me just say to you that um, it used to be that our waste tire program was one of the most successful ones in the country. And w recently, because of some changes, and I know a little bit about this because at some point I represented the uh, retail tire dealers. I represented them. And um, there, there, there were some fees that began to be charged. And our, you know, our members still paid those fees. But it forced a lot of, I say forced, it caused a lot of other people to start dumping those Correct. tires because Correct. of expense. And what I don't think, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, because what I don't think people realize is how big of a problem it is across the state of Louisiana. Correct. You can go into New Orleans East, uh, and I don't mean to steal your show, no, but you good. can go into New Orleans East and you can see fields of tires, like as far as you can see they tires. They took over a road. Yeah. They, they, they piled up literally thousands, maybe 10,000 tires on a road. Yeah. And there's a way to fix it, and when you get elected, I can – I can tell you, how, I know how to fix it. It's the political will to be able to fix it. But the reality of it is we should be recycling those tires. And there's been some efforts. We almost had a recycler in Baton Rouge a while back, but we've got another one. Same one. Uh, is same one coming, coming in. And I believe they're actually, are they here or are they coming in? They're here. They're here. And, but, and, and they have a permit. They have a permit. But right now th there's a court case. That's right. And the court case is basically deferred the start of the shredder. And the court cases between them and the... The other, the uh, other processors. The, others, the other processors. They want to keep the business to themselves. And that's the problem. They want to keep the business to themselves. And they don't really fully recycle the product. They just either chew it up Cut. or bury it or, mm -hmm. or make right. bumpers. or, But they don't turn they don't. the tires into recyclable rubber. As Steel I appreciate it, you fibers. only have to cut it in half to con to be able to qualify for that rebate that you get from the state of Louisiana. But we make no crumb rubber in the state of Louisiana, which is the most most valuable um, rubber that you can do so many things with. We may, I'm not aware of any of the recyclers doing that. I've been I was in the middle of this battle for a long time, and I'm telling you, and I'm going to tell my audience, you have no idea how big of a problem this is. And in other states, and I, again, don't mean to steal your show, but in other states like North Carolina, um, Tennessee, you have Superfund tire sites. You have you. I was in Tennessee. We worked with the Tennessee tire dealers. Um, we got all of the tire dealers in the state of Tennessee got a notice that said that they were had to prove where every tire went or pay a portion of the Superfund cleanup site. So we went with the feds to go look at that super the Superfund site. We're driving down this beautiful, pristine road in Tennessee. We go up over this rise, and when we come over the rise, as far as you could see, tires mm. and rodents and animals and, and mosquitoes all kinds of things. So snakes. I really do. I have to commend you for the work that you're doing on that. You're dealing with an issue that we're going to have to deal with, and it's going to if we don't deal with it soon, it's going to cost a lot more money. I actually wrote a, a law change that I submitted to Franklin Foyle and uh, Secretary Brown mm -hmm. and Scott McKnight 
and a few others, and Barbara, Barbara Freiberg recently. And what it does is it, you have a $2 and a quarter right. disposal fee. That's for, the, for the passenger tire. Correct. Yeah. And right now, it's up to the dealer, whether it be a new dealer or a used dealer, to contact the processor, get the tire picked up, pay the fee, and then the tire is supposed to be handled. The problem is a lot of people, not necessarily the new tire dealers, because I don't think they're the, the problem, but a lot of used tire dealers will take the money from their clients and then throw the tires away. That's exactly what's happening. And there's also, I've been told by Secretary Brown's staff, that there are truckers that bring in loads of tires to a used tire store, let them pick through the tires and take what they want. Whatever they don't buy from them, they go dump that. You're absolutely right. That's, that's what's happening. So what I want to see happen, and I, I think it's a lot like a Coca-Cola can. Whenever a tire is brought into the state by a wholesaler, whether it's used or new, when it's brought into the state, they pay the two and a quarter up front with a $1 deposit. And then when they sell the tires to a retailer, the retailer pays the two and a quarter to the wholesaler and the dollar deposit. And then when the retailer sells the tire, he gets two and a quarter from the customer. Then he calls up the processor and says, time to pick up my tire, my used tires, they're here. Give me my money. They get a dollar per tire to turn in the tires. Right. So anybody can turn in their tires yeah. for a dollar a tire. One of my concerns is that the DEQ's got a rule that you're only allowed to transport 15 tires at a time. That's right, unless you're a transporter. Correct. But if you're a nonprofit corporation, working for the good of the city, you have to go out and get a permit, and it's only good for one day, and you can only carry 15 tires at a wow. time, wow. which is totally counterproductive. If you just passed that law alone, you'd probably make some progress. So, yeah, that's, um, that's I don't, the one I want passed. Yeah, I don't represent that industry anymore, but when you're elected, I'd love to share with you my 15 years of experience in working on the inside of that. And um, I just, again, I, I applaud you for doing that. You know, One of the good things that... Um, um, Balm Environmental. Yeah, the, yes, absolutely. Diane Balm. Diane, yeah. Um, one of the things she has up front, and when, when, when she was working on getting her permit, she presented this to the DEQ for their hearings, is that she already has a letter of intent from a company in Natchez that will buy all... All the tires. The, you call crumb rubber, the ground, mm -hmm. you know, the, the shredded rubber, mm -hmm. and she'll sell the, sti the steel, the, and then she'll use the fibers for environmental control projects. Mm -hmm. So that means that the entire tire is used. Is used. Yeah. Not only that, her equipment should be able to handle truck tires. That's awesome because that's a big deal too. Yeah, because once they've been used a couple of times, recapped or whatever, they just roll up to a neighborhood, dump them off the back of the truck, and right into the trees. And then you go wandering through the trees and you find these huge tires sitting mm -hmm. all over the place. Yeah. It's awful. Well, look, I, I think that is a, a, a big thing, and I appreciate you working on that because, um, and I know um, Council uh, Metro Councilwoman Coleman, uh, we we had met with her and Miss Baum and and kind of worked through some of these things. So, and they've so, already, they've already got a location. Good. It's in West Zachary. It's off of sixty one. It's in an existing industrial park. Oh, good. And the local neighbors are excited about it because some job opportunities. That's exactly. She's have a job fair. Um, and it'll help clean up their neighborhoods. And she will pay, as I understand it. I don't want to speak for yeah, her. Yeah, right. But she was saying that she'll have a nonprofit section of her company that will pay a dollar 
for every tire that someone turns in if they're with a nonprofit. Oh, wow. So that that's a collection agency almost for you. Yes, it's exciting. Um, so, you know, we talked about what, um, um, you know, I, we another, do... Another project that, mm -hmm. that I'm interested in and I've been discussing it with Barbara uh, Freiberg. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that it'll fly, but it's just a thought. And that is that right now, when someone own, buys a car out of state mm -hmm. and they bring it in state, mm -hmm. they have to pay the differential sales tax to bring right. that car and register it in the state. So it's a barrier to people moving into the state. They just move in. They don't register their car. They don't pay, they don't pay anything for that. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't get in our insurance base. Um, they've got an out-of-state license plate. They're harder to track for the police. Mm -hmm. All these are negatives. If we would reduce the sales tax on vehicles to the level of our neighbors so that there's no penalty mm -hmm. to register your car in Louisiana, I think it would be a great benefit. Mm -hmm. I think you'd probably have to make up for it um, in additional gas tax. I think it would be necessary because they won't, they won't let that happen because all the money goes to, uh, to roads and bridges, and mm -hmm. they can't afford to lose that income right. for roads and bridges. Right. But that yeah. is a possibility. And yeah. I, it's, I, I like to look at small things. And try to look for solutions. I, I hate to say it, the tires are, for most people, is a small thing, mm. but it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing, and it's a, it's a small thing until it becomes a big thing. And there might be little tires, but when you have a million little tires, you become a super <laughs> fun site. And we don't need any more of those. So um, let's. I do this little exercise where I say, okay, last night you were elected, and then we kind of pretend, you know, everything happens, and this is your first day as a legislator. What do you want to do as a legislator? What, what is going to be your plan? I mean, are there particular um, in, uh, initiatives that you want to take, particular areas that you want to work in? You're elected. You're now uh, Representative Matt. What are, you, what are you going to do? Well, the first thing, like I said earlier, for the last seven years has been very important to me, the condition of North Baton Rouge, the Bottoms, Scotlandville, all those areas. And to me, the only real solution is education. And I think we need to do everything we can for uh, child care, you know, within six weeks after birth, make that available. Uh, early schooling, socialization, they really need to develop socialization skills so that as they get to be teenagers, they're a lot more self-controlled right. and a lot more capable of dealing with people without pulling out guns and knives and Right. And that, to me, is a very high priority. Yeah. Along with that, I, I think the police need more support. I think they need to ha have a lot more training. I think they, they've had some bad apples. They've had some bad press. But I think if they had more training, and not just state police training, but training for all municipalities and, and groups within the state so that um, they're better reacting with the civilization yeah and so they don't cause problems they solve problems and I, I'm very much in favor of supporting their efforts um, one of my keys is I really think we need more business we need more industry we need them to be responsible environmentally responsible but for instance early indications for me is that the carbon capture process is a good way to reduce carbon dioxide greenhouse gas, recover it in such a fashion that it doesn't harm the environment 
and it's stored properly. Um, anything that helps the community and makes a profit is good for us. Mm -hmm. More jobs, more money being put into the system. Um, so I'm very much in favor of that. Um, I'm also against litter and blight across the board. Anything that I could do as a state legislator to improve municipal control of their neighborhoods and their streets, I would, I would like to support. Um, those are my basics. That's good. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are critically important things. And early childhood education, we know, uh, is the best investment you can make because your return on investment is 10 to 1. Um, but we don't, as a state, seem to be willing to do that. It's always on the edge of the budget, and we say no. And so it needs to move up. It, sure, it needs to be a priority. I should mention one other thing that, that ties into my concern about these communities, these um, non-developed communities, is you have a lot of people returning from prisons. And you can't expect a person that gets out of prison, that can't get a job, can't get a place to stay, has lost his connections with his family. You can't expect them to perform properly in society. Right. We need, we need better training, get them job skills, help them find housing, and give them personal support to encourage them to stay out of jail. Right. Because that also is an economic benefit to us mm -hmm. and a safety benefit to right. us. Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, I know um, there's been some really positive programs. Turner had a great program on reentry um, relative to jobs, you know, uh, helping um, people who are released uh, from prison after serving their terms or, you know, what have you. Uh, they had a really strong program. COVID just ripped all of that apart mm. because a lot of people weren't going to work and it, it, it kind of tore it apart. But there's no doubt. I mean, if you look at the recidivism rates, uh, when you have structure, when you come out of prison and you have structure, your chances of success in that arena are going to be exponentially better. And a great example of that is I have a stepbrother who served 16 years in prison. Uh, when he came out, he had structure. He had me. He had uh, my wife, my family. Um, he is now a productive member of society. He owns a house. He was, he's married. He owns a car. He's got a good job. And so he's doing really good things. And so... He, Structure makes a difference, and where we can, we need to provide those sorts of resources. So one of the things that I talk to candidates at this point in the podcast is tell us how you're going to win the race. Tell us what your plan is to win the race. I'm still looking for that, actually. <laughs> I like that because that makes you a very honest guy, right? Every, every, candidate, every candidate goes, oh, it's going great. We're doing great and all that sort of stuff. But as a candidate, and I haven't have been one, and I've won and I've lost, uh, and the reality of it is is that you just don't know, do you? No, and it's, it's a tough process. It is the a process tough process. The process itself is very That's right. difficult. That's right. If you do it legally, legitimately, honestly, it's a tough process. It is. Um, I can only do what I can do, and it's going to be up to the voters to make the decision. Right. They're either interested in having me in the legislature right. or they're not. Yeah. i got to admit, I'm 75 years old. Yeah. And, but I'm in healthy shape. I play a lot of tennis. Oh, I'm, cool. I, I volunteer all the time. Yeah. I'm always working on my stuff, so I'm, 
I'm pretty good for a 75-year-old. Yeah. And I got 75 years of experience. Yes. It's a big deal. That I'd like to put in play. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate you offering yourself for public service. I've been doing this for 35 years, not the podcast, but, you know, working in the legislature and working in state government. And um, it, it, there is definitely – it's changed a lot over the years. Uh, but experience is a good thing and expertise in a, a good thing. And I will – assure you, and I hope I don't offend any of my incumbent uh, uh, legislators, but you know more about tires than probably any of the legislators do. <laughs> I do really like Dr. Brown. I think he is a, a straight-up guy, and I think he's trying to do the best for the people of Louisiana, and I've enjoyed working with him well. I think well. if we could get that law changed, I honestly think it goes from a negative incentive economically to a positive incentive. I like incentive. it. I, I don't disagree. Um, we're going to pay for that problem one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, this is the part of the show where I give you the opportunity to tell our listeners anything else you want to say about yourself or anything you would like to express for them or ask their support, anything you want to tell our audience. Yeah, they're probably surprised, but I'm running as a no-party candidate. Okay. I'm not running as a Republican or a Democrat. So it's like being a total independent. Right. I'm a moderate I work with all sorts of different groups of people. Um, so I'm very much into individual rights, um, very much into following the Constitution. Imagine that. Being raised in the military. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd love the opportunity to be the guy in the middle to make things happen. Yeah. Well, good. Well, tell, tell our people how they get in touch with you. You have a website or an email or anything you want to? I've got an email address, which is my first name, Perry, P-A-R-R-Y, Matt, M-A-T-T, -T, another T for Thomas, at gmail.com. Uh, so it's perrymatt with three Ts at mm -hmm. gmail.com. I have a website, which is www.perrymatt.thomas.com for house68.com. Okay. Everything's lowercase. Great. And we'll put it in the links in our uh, podcast for you. And so my cell phone's on my awesome. distribution list. Yeah. If, you got my, if you got my business card, you've got my cell phone. It's on my website. It's on my, uh, however you want to find me, my cell phone's out there. Good. Well, I hey, first, let me just say this. I appreciate you offering yourself for public service. I don't... You said it's hard to get elected. I was elected three times, and I lost once. And it's hard. Uh, it's hard work. And then imagine that the work after you get elected, because our mm -hmm. state has so many challenges that we have to get through. But I particularly appreciate your work in public service, not volunteering for the food bank and this. You know your work with the Senior Olympics. I mean that. You know we need more of that in our community, and I appreciate you doing that. So we had a situation a few years ago, which I think is a good example of how I work. Um, sewage was spewing up in the middle of my street mm. uh, on Cedardale. And it was also spewing in the middle of Stanford. Mm. About three feet high, geysers wow. of sewage in uh, 2015. So I went down there and took videos and pictures and started campaigning to get the city to take care of this problem. And I made 10 copies of the videos and I made it, gave it to the paper. I gave it to the news media. I gave it, gave it to state representatives. I gave it to us senators. Um, I sent a 
letter to the uh, United States Senate for Utilities and the Environment. And finally, I got Bill Cassidy's office, talked to Bill. Bill Cassidy's office sat down with us, and we told him what was going on. And um, they took it to the EPA, and I had all contacted the EPA on my own, and it didn't go anywhere. I contacted DEQ, and it didn't go anywhere. But when Cassidy took it to the, the DEQ under his signature, they solved the problem in five days. That's amazing. That's all they had to do, they, they had converted the system from a gravity-feed sewage system to a pressurized sewage system, and they were overpressurizing the sewer system. Uh. So they put sensors below the manhole covers so that whenever the fluid started to rise up, it would call them on the cell phone and warn them. So they just dialed down the variable speed uh. drive, and it wouldn't overpressurize, wow. and it wouldn't flow out in our street. Yeah, I was out in the middle of the night. Yeah. Out dealing on, with out uh, on Stanford dam- dealing with a flashlight and, and a little um, white handkerchief trying to get <laughs> people to move over because the manhole cover had come off. Oh wow! And you had an exposed manhole cover underneath the sewage. Yeah. So you're driving along and you think Boom. you're driving through. Yeah, right. you could get a car could get lodged in there. So well, not not the car, but the tire. The tire, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which then again goes back to the tire problem. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. That is our show. I am David Tatman. Uh, if you would like to, if you're watching and you'd like to follow us on the podcast, we are on all the major podcast platforms at the Pelican Brief two two five. Uh, if you're listening to us and you want to watch us on YouTube, we are on YouTube at. Pelican Brief 225. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at thepelicanbrief225 at gmail.com. And you can find us on all of the social media platforms, again, at Pelican Brief 225. Thank you so much. And until next time, we are the Pelican Brief. The Pelican Brief is an off script production.